Welcome to the EdTech Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk, and today we're talking about improving your communication with Lisa Thomas, an instructor of business communications at BYU's Marriott School of Business. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome. It's good to be here. So in your bio, you say that your students learn the superpowers of business, how to produce concise writing, design captivating documents and slides, and pitch their best ideas with riveting presentation skills. Those are superpowers we all want. So tell me a little bit about, I guess, your background in how you you came to be an instructor there at BYU School of Business, and what really fires you up about this topic? Well, I studied the teaching of writing at UC Berkeley many years ago, and I was much more interested in sort of overall general writing and literature and things like that. I was, uh, the years between when I graduated and when I started working at BYU, I taught some in high school. I also taught adults in writing their memoirs and things like that. When I had the opportunity to teach at the Marriott School, I was kind of sneering a little bit about it. (laughs) Coming from Berkeley, I was very liberal and kind of anti-business, and I didn't want to necessarily work for the man. (laughs) But what was so interesting to me was to realize how integral and how powerful business thinking, strategy thinking is for doing good in the world too. And it turns out that the root of all of that is being able to communicate compellingly the ideas that you have. And so I became so enthused about this class, which not only teaches really good writing skills, but the other ways that we tend to communicate in business, namely presentations, and then also just in how we're designing now. Everything's a lot more visual. And so how a document that you send is designed will affect your credibility with your audience. So I just, we have the smartest students. They are so driven. They're brilliant and thoughtful. But if they, you know, know a lot about finance or accounting and cannot communicate clearly what it is they need to tell a client or an investor, they will fail. (laughs) So that's why it's important. Well, you mentioned creating content that uses design as, as an element to it. You make me think of the textbook, actually, that you're teaching the course from. And it, it's definitely not an old school textbook. It's not the, the thing that you go down to the bookstore and go look for the best used one that's got all the notes in it. This is online. All of it's in easy to read PDFs and it's designed very colorfully. Tell me kind of how this came about. Well, we were teaching from a traditional textbook But we realized that we weren't modeling the kind of concise writing style that we wanted our students to adopt. And so we thought, well, why don't we try that? And as I started, you know, kind of drafting some ideas there, then I realized, boy, we could do a lot more with graphics. And then we realized we could create this whole thing in PowerPoint and show the students how, with the tools that are available to everyone, they can create powerful messages. And so we created the whole thing on PowerPoint. It's very visual and very concise and students love it. Well, yeah, I I found myself diving right into to that first chapter and kind of getting excited about all of the topics that are 
that are being outlined here. So I want to dive into some of those specifics. Of course, our listeners may not be in school right now, and so they are probably wanting this information out in the real world. What are some very basic tips that business professionals should look for? I mean, what are the most common mistakes you see? Well, let me just start off by saying anyone who's listening can have access to this textbook at mcom320.net. We decided to make it freely available. Most common mistakes. I think that often we tend to write emails as if we were speaking. And because we speak in a discursive and very informal way, um, sometimes our ideas are not well developed or aren't organized in a way that makes sense. So I think the best, the best advice in terms of email, which is one of the most common platforms for business communication, is to go ahead and draft out your email. But before you hit send, look through and put it in the kind of order that will make sense to the receiving person's brain. <laughs> and a lot of that will result will involve cutting words and phrases that are just not necessary putting the main message right up front, sometimes even in the subject line, and then uh, getting right to the point and then ending with some kind of an action item that makes it clear what you need the person to do to move your effort forward or their effort forward. Right. Well, that's, that's something that I write for a living, but sitting down to write an email, I would often commit many of those mistakes, I would back into things, uh, trying to explain mm -hmm. uh, the reasoning behind something before I even make the ask um, of my team, or I would close it, basically the, the call to action, I would just completely miss that and, and end up going off on a tangent. And so even as somebody that writes for a living, these aren't skills that, that necessarily come naturally, right? So true. We have a little acronym that helps people remember the four A's. The first thing is just to get people's attention or give them context. So you kind of need to tell them why you're here in front of them. And then um, uh, give them some kind of agenda. If it's a, if it's a uh, message that has several points or you're going to cover more than one idea. And then lay out your argument or your content and then give them a call to action. So yeah, it's, um, it's different than writing an article. It's different than, of course, writing a novel or something like that. Time is money in the business world. So getting in, saying what you're going to say clearly, and then um, setting up that next point of action is really important. Certainly uh, an important point to, to be able to, I guess, hone in on what it is that you're saying and then what it is that you're asking of somebody or wanting to communicate with that other person. So email, you say, is one of the, I guess, most frequent ways that we uh, as business people communicate. But you make a good point that often it is uh, very informally written like we're speaking to the person. Why do you think that email can be so misinterpreted? And I guess a tone of voice doesn't always come across clearly to the, to the end user. I think it's just people are busy and they um, are sort of thinking their way through an email rather than composing it. It just takes a few, you know, a minute at the end to read it from the point of view of your audience and make sure that it makes sense. We have some great examples, you know, that we use in class of, of just 
horrible emails and we've all gotten them, you know, that yeah. you're really not sure what is going on <laughs> about the middle. So um, avoiding that um, by rereading is, is just has become very important. You know, I, I said that emails are more informal and I will say that in general, business communications are more informal and that's fine. And they are much less formal than when I began teaching eight or 10 years ago when there was a certain gravitas that people were trying to convey to each other. And, and now I think that your credibility is helped by being very real, very um, authentic. But there's a difference between being authentic and real and being sloppy and confusing. <laughs> so, yeah. so sometimes the best written business communication, even a contract, is quite, um, uh, I don't know if that I would use the word informal, but is, um, is less formal than before and quite direct, but not hidden in all that kind of language that we used to use. Um, and that's how people understand better and they like you better and they're more willing to do business with you when you have a, a clear but um, authentic voice. Well, and that's something that I read in that first chapter. It, it talks about how many businesses and, and uh, you know, even government entities are revising some of their uh, traditional old style language to use a more plain language approach. So I, I guess I didn't realize that that this was such a shift because you're right, a, a, a document full of jargon really just kind of goes over somebody's head. If you're having to sit there and reread sentences just to figure out what they're saying, yeah. uh, that's probably a clue that it's, it's, uh, it's not as plain and as straightforward so as it could be. What do you think uh, has kind of precipitated this plain language approach, or I guess this movement to making communication and business a little bit more clear? I imagine that, um, I think it may have even started on Wall Street. There's a, a great document that someone at the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, wrote trying to help people write their annual reports in a comprehensive way. And I think that when investors and um, even board members were reading documents and just saying, this document is purports to be about millions of dollars and I can't really understand what it's saying, um, the demand for clarity and that, uh, that clarity costs something. It costs a little bit in time and a little bit in effort, but it is so worth it because when you can address something clearly, and compellingly, uh, you're just much more likely to win the day to, you know, get the contract or get the angel investment funding or whatever it is. Clarity really is a, a high value item now. It seems like not that long ago, uh, you wanted to use big language kind of as a, as a defense almost. I mean, you, you wanted to sound more important than you were. You wanted to sound more official uh, than, than you were. And so you would use these big jargony words that didn't really say anything. So I, I'm fascinated by this shift then because it had, it had to take somebody saying, okay, I consider myself a smart person, but I have no idea what this document says. Courage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it had to have been a shift maybe in the workforce. Yes. Also generationally, you know, kids that are graduating from college, they just 
are looking for the shortest possible explanation of whatever it is they need to do. And so often they will just Google something and find a very brief explanation. And, and that's what they're used to is small bites rather than a longer, more crafted piece of writing. And, uh, you know, some people argue that that's a loss to society and some people say it's a gain, but it certainly is the expectation in business now to be more brief, to have a more authentic voice um, and to be very, very clear. Yeah, well, and that's true that people will will maybe say, well, that's just the the dumbed down version of something that, you know, I want to I want to see this craft of writing and this um, and this explanation using the the vocabulary of my industry but but often I see that many different generations that would have come from typing up a memo they're shifting towards this right oh my gosh there's this huge kind of discussion that goes on at every faculty meeting for the last two years on whether we ought to continue teaching memo format Mm. And there are those who feel like it's absolutely necessary, that it's a standard of business communication and there's a certain format you should use. And others that say, nobody writes memos. You may call it a memo, but it can be delivered in an email. And so it should be crafted like a good email. (laughs) So that's an interesting transition. You know, and the other one is is the more visual element of any communication. Nobody wants to pick up a document or open an email that just hits them like a wall of gray text. So even tips like hitting return, you know, making paragraphs in your email um, helps people to understand it. They can read the first line very quickly and figure out, okay, where are we going here? Um, And not in an email. Oftentimes, news is best delivered in a very visual format, a, a diagram or some kind of an infographic, people react well to color and shape, and they can capture a lot If in a well-designed visual. Um, they can capture things even more quickly than they could in text. So, In speaking about uh, designing with information and designing with text, uh, what are some of the, the basic tenets of a well-designed infographic or like the uh, format that you used for the textbook that you guys are are teaching out of, uh, what are some of those basic tenets that really help the readability and and I guess understandability by using design for content? Well, um, I would say probably layout, contrast, and are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that the major design concepts that someone should pay attention to um, as they're embarking on this is layout, contrast, and and repetition. Layout of a document or an infographic is very important because proximity shows relationship. And so you have to have the things that relate to each other near each other. Um, and people really appreciate white space. That's another thing in layout. Um, is when you have a lot of white space, you're directing the eye to one thing and uh, or that is surrounded by the white space. And it's a sort of, <laughs> it's like looking at a big green lawn for the mind, you know, it feels good. <laughs> and so having a good wide margin on something or, you know, just putting a, a pull quote 
in the middle of something that has a nice wide margin is um, much more effective than just cramming a lot of text into anything. Um, and then contrast is really important. You just have to know something. Um, you can learn things about color and design that will help you you know, pick a good color palette that will provide the contrast necessary and size contrast, things like that are, are super important. If everything's about the same size of font, about the same look of font on a document, it just reads like a mush. But if you um, can select a really bold, strong heading, and then your body text is easier to skim through, you get a lot more engagement from, from a reader. And then repetition, just in terms of things need to be consistent. They need to be aligned correctly. They need to, all the colors need to be the same. The font palette should be limited and repeated throughout the document. So those are things that we cover in our chapter 11. <laughs> so then maybe for those memo writers, how do you respond to the argument that these these elements of design are for designers? There, you know, there's people that do that. So why do I need to understand what font sizes work best to complement each other, or why do I need to know what a pull quote is in white spaces? Well, if you work at a big enough company, you probably don't. But the way the world workforce is going, you will probably have 11 jobs in your life. And some of them will be for smaller companies. And one of the jobs you have is to market yourself. And you can definitely and probably should hire a designer if you are branding yourself in a big way. But if you are just, you know, maybe writing a cover letter and creating a resume for um, a job that you really want to get, knowing some of these principles will really make you stand out from students who are just following some school format that everyone's been using for the last 20 years. So designers are very necessary for most of the good work that goes on out there, but they are generous enough to have shared with us mere mortals some great templates and some great uh, font palettes and things like that that will be useful when we're um, composing things that we don't have their help on. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. You're so welcome. It's been fun talking. And thanks to you listeners for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more, listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries. Subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video. Until next time, I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. <laughs>